It's really fun to have uh, friends who are rock stars. And our conversation today is with a rock star. But it's not the conversation that you think you're going to have with a rock star because this rock star is uh, one super ultra stellar human named Justin Boretta. Justin is a member of the electronic music group, The Glitch Mob, that has been touring for more than a decade uh, since their establishment in 2006 and debut album, which came out in 2010, that I inhaled, just absolutely devoured it, uh, called Drink the Sea, which came out in 2010. Um, they've performed since then all over the world, all the biggest festivals, Coachella, Burning Man, Lollapalooza, Bonnaroo, etc. cetera. Um, Justin and the Glitch Mob, they've done three albums together, uh, all kinds of official remixes for Daft Punk, The Prodigy, Odessa, Metallica, TV on the radio, and tons more. I adore this band and specifically Justin, Justin's role in it. Uh, he's collaborated with people that I also respect and admire greatly. Folks like Ram Das, uh, the spiritual teacher, Alan Watts, uh, around guided meditation, mindfulness, psychedelics, and the roles that they all have in mental health. And this conversation, um, I had just, I, we just finished recording. And so I'm like on cloud 11 right now. Um, and, I love it when my goal, anytime I sit down with the guest, is for it to be one of their favorite conversations on record ever, if not the numero uno. And I'm grateful that that's exactly what Justin shared uh, as soon as we were, we were finished uh, with the podcast. He said, wow, I've done a lot of these things and that was my favorite. Um, and so if you use that as a lens um, through which you are about to go on a journey from creativity to mindset, mindfulness, awareness, how you pay attention, how you work through fear, um, trauma, uh, the things that make you weird, how those are your potentially your biggest strengths. That is just a sample of what we cover. Um, in addition to all of the inner landscape, uh, the world that, that mindfulness and meditation, the role rather that mindfulness and meditation have on our lives, our day-to-day -day thoughts, um, who we are, and uh, we, we, we really cover some ground and it's just such a wonderful conversation. I'm really proud of this podcast and I think you're going to enjoy it to the max. So thank you, uh, Justin, for being on the show. And everyone out there in the world, if you uh, would give him a shout out at Beretta, if you get any value from this, uh, that would be amazing. Um, so I'm going to get out of the way because this is, uh, I'm, I'm just standing between you and this awesomeness. So I'm going to get out of the way before we do just a super quick word from Creative Live. And then we're off on an amazing conversation with Justin Beretta from The Glitch Mob. Hey, quick question for you before we get into the episode. Do you feel stuck by any chance? Do you feel like your dreams are, are a bit out of reach or you've got more potential with this one precious life than you're realizing today, right this moment? Well, you know what? I got an idea. Life isn't about finding fulfillment and success. It's about creating it. So to that end, I wrote a book. It's a new book. It just dropped in September. It's called Creative Calling and it became an instant bestseller when it was released this past September. Now, if you dig this podcast, then this book is the perfect, and I mean perfect, companion because it takes the ideas we discuss here in the show, creativity, entrepreneurship, how to pursue your dreams and career, hobby, and in life, and it organizes them in a super clever and incredibly practical way that will help you take action in pursuit of your dreams. So 
I do have an ask, and that ask is that you pick up a copy or two, or who am I kidding, maybe 10. But again, here's why. This is not about a transaction. This is about a message and a movement. You see, creativity is a force inside every one of us that when it's unleashed, it transforms our lives and delivers vitality to everything we do. Establishing a creative practice is therefore, in my opinion, the most valuable and urgent task that you can do. It's as important to our well-being as exercise and nutrition. So I put everything I had into this book. I mean everything. It's 10 years in the making. Now, I know from math and numbers that a lot of you who listen to the show have already purchased the book. And for that, I say thank you. Uh, And I have a, a separate ask of you. And that is, one, if you haven't left a review, it would mean the world to me. I read them regularly um, and I'm sharing them on my social and I'm just so grateful to have your feedback. And thing two, thank you for being the messengers for this book. I know, as do you, that word of mouth is the most powerful way that we learn about things in our culture. And the fact that the book you know, went straight to the bestseller lists and is continuing to... Um, have incredible traction on a global level. I know that you're active and I just want to say thanks. All right. Thanks very much for listening. And now let's get back into the show. Mr. Justin Beretta in the house. Welcome, Justin. Thank you, Chase. Wow. Thank you. That's your bio, not mine. (laughs) It sounds so impressive when you just read it. What 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 a career arc, man. Congratulations. Thank you. It's always such a strange thing to hear that read back. And I'm like, wow, we did, we, we did all that. Time is a funny thing. It's a lot of, a lot of things happened in a decade. Um, I think uh, it was shocking to me just 120 seconds ago when we uh, jumped on our connection here. I'm like, wow, how long has it been? And it was like you said, I think it was 2011, which is, that freaked me out. So that, that's nine years for those counting. Um <laughs> In the woods in Tahoe, we got to spend some time together. I think it, um, I think it was Tim Ferris that introduced us. That's right, mutual, beautiful mutual friend of ours. Uh, and clearly, you've been up to a lot since then. Um, and I want to start at the start, which is there was a time before you were a professional musician where you were trying to figure out what it is that you wanted to do with your one precious life, and. Not that you have it figured out, but so many of our listeners are in a position right now where they've either followed a path that has led them astray or done the things that everybody else in the world wants them to do. And it's time that they start to focus on their own, um, their own one precious life. And I'm trying to figure out, uh, how did you figure out yours? <laughs> That's funny. As, right as you were saying that, I was thinking, I think I'm, I'm still figuring it out. And every day... I feel more and more like a student. I think, and, and I, I love the idea of the, the Dunning-Kruger effect where actually at the very beginning of music, when I first started producing and Glitch Mob was, was making albums, I think that I had it more figured out at that point in time. There was, there was a point where I was like, okay, yeah, music's easy, I got this. But the more that I learned, the more that I realized that I didn't know. And now learning to me, is an, it's an integral part of the process of learning um, I'm actually right now I'm taking um, music composition lessons I I am not classically trained by any stretch of the imagination um, in fact I until recently I only knew anecdotal music theory I just sort of hunt and peck and figure stuff out and basically smash the piano like a like an ape and good sounds <laughs> would come out but there's something in actually the naivete of just going by vibe or what sounds good so for me um, in a way, I'm actually glad that I didn't know 
the specific rules of music theory, because now that I'm going back and learning it and combining it with my own internal compass, um, it's really, it's really expanding from there. So I guess that's like a, on a high level, that's how everything got going. Did you, well, I think I want to pull on that string for a second. Did, do you think that's a better way of learning? Because obviously there is the classical train. You start with the rules and then you learn enough that you know how to break the rules and when. Um, that tends to have a level of rigor and supervision. And I just, I guess I'll throw it under all, all rules versus yeah. this feel. Because it seems to me that so much of the thing that separates the world's top anything, creators, musicians, entrepreneurs, is their intuition and their gut. And I'm curious what your opinion is. Is there a better path of, you know, learning to listen to your gut and then learning the rules? Because once you learn the rules, it's so hard to go back and listen to your gut or is uh, the other way around more valuable, you think? It's such an interesting question. And I I think about this a lot. And um, what I've really come back to is, is, Everyone learns so differently. People self-educate in so many different ways where I have friends that are, are uh, producers now, they're bands that travel around and maybe they, they're like me. They, have, they just so happen to have learned themselves. Or there's other people that went to music school and it really worked for them. But I think the, the, the thing that really uh, distinguishes is just the mastery. It's the love of coming back day in and day out. And for me, I took one music theory class in school and I was like, I just, I couldn't handle it. It didn't even make sense to me. I didn't like it. I was like, I'm just going to go back to my computer and make weird sounds. But for some people that really works. But um, at the point at which what really drove me to learn and when you ended up being more of a focus on say like sound design, because in electronic music, you can make music and not actually know how to play any instruments. So it's, you know, Glitch Mob does have a lot of, um, you know, so music theory, so to speak, like there are chords in there, there are melodies, but at the end of the day, it is more about the way the music sounds in combination with that stuff. Although you can take some of that out you could play the music on a, on a piano, but even our performances live are not really about the fact that you watch us and you're like, wow, they're incredibly good at playing the guitar or, or the piano or some people you go watch like um, when you watch watch videos of of Prince play who I've never actually got to see live but that's someone where you not only is he a good musician but he is one of the best guitar players of all time and I think the cool thing about electronic music and I don't want this to sound like I'm putting one above the other because I really don't think so is that it the tools are right there it's so easy you can go get a laptop, get some free sounds and make an incredible album that really touches people. And that's at the end of the day, that's really what matters. I love the, um, the immediacy of that, the urgency, the, um, cause let's face it. I think that they're most of the stuff that's keeping people from doing the things that they want to do in life is the talk track that they've got in their brain. That's right. And yeah, sure. There's, there's plenty of practice, but even the talk track keeps them from practicing whatever it is, whether it's writing or music or, you know, building a business or needlepoint or anything, having a family. And I'm curious what role, you know, this is a soft way into mental health because the, you know, the, I, the most important words in the world are the ones we say to ourselves. And I'm curious is around in those early days, 
was there doubt was there fear was there or is that part of the beauty of being young and as i think you said naive early on is that is that helpful in some way um what was your what was your earliest inter or inner landscape like if your outer landscape was like cool i'm making sounds music theory is something i'll get to later i just like the sounds that are coming out of my computer what was that if that's the outer landscape what was your inner landscape yeah i mean doubt and fear are um an integral part of the of the process and i even think that frustration creative frustration of hearing something and not being able to create that like those sorts of things can be something that drives you forward um but the inner critic thrives on it comparison. Like if it's fuel is comparing yourself to someone else. I think that, so when we started doing this, I mean, Glitch Mob started around 2006. So some of our first shows, 2007, eight, nine, you know, this is right around the time when social media wasn't around. And so yeah. we were a band from MySpace time. This is going to, this is going to date me. This is so funny. <laughs> like MySpace, what's that? But around the time where you had to go to your computer and sit down to access the internet until the fact that it was, it was everywhere. Um, and I think it's a lot easier to compare yourself to other people now, but there's this, um, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the Ira Glass speech, which I love and oh, yeah. I send to people all the time. Um, and just, just the idea that you can have good taste and listen to something, but then if you compare yourself to it, you're not doing yourself a favor to actually really have the time to the mastery to get there. But, but back then, uh, before social media, back in those days, <laughs> I actually, I felt like it was a little harder to compare yourself to it because we had, had a scene of our, our musician friends. There were some people we connected with on the internet, but now if you are living in a world where you are constantly comparing yourself to every other artist who's right next to you or, um, or, or ahead of you, it almost like those favorite artists of yours are living in the room, that's actually quite a bit harder. So um, I think that at that time, the, there was a huge benefit in that there was an, it, this was a, an underground movement. It came from this underground scene in LA and San Francisco. And we didn't, I wasn't sitting around comparing myself to others. So um, now I think that artists have to work extra hard to any sort of creative to not sit there because every person who's better than you and there's always going to be someone way better than right. you sitting there going oh, you're, you're not good enough and that's just it's fodder for the inner critic so um i deal with that all of the time but i would say that at least the muscle of segmenting out creative time and learning how to how to use the the amazing technology of social media and getting to share this stuff and have conversations like this is really it's incredible the fact that music and art can reach people so quickly, but I think you have to work harder to not feed that, that inner critic. So it's an active process, would you say? Absolutely. Yeah. It's and in that way, it's similar to, I would say, um, meditation or these, it, it's really like in the same way that when you're meditating, a thought comes in and then you come back to your breath. It's like, well, now I'm in the studio, I'm making music, a thought comes in that's I actually, I just, I'm not, I'm not as good as, as that guy. And then, okay, just back to the music. <laughs> and then over time, um, the ability to, to focus and not even just the comparison part, but even simply the fact that our attention, um, 
has been trained to tick away every every couple of seconds, I think is another type of meditation I've been thinking about where the ability to sit down in the studio for two hours straight and just do that was something that when we first started, that's that's what we did all the time. It wasn't a big deal, but now it's, a, it, it's culture has changed. Yeah. Culture, Cult, has changed. The yeah. culture has literally changed and transformed yes. in attention an attention deficit world where people are paid, like literally paid to drag your attention away from the thing that you're focused on at, at any given moment. That's their job. Yeah. And, you know, now that there's so much competition for your attention, the ability to keep it is, uh, is clearly critical. I love the, the, that's, that was a, just a, uh, an epiphany epiphany for me when you're like that, it, it was a different world. And I think about my own development as an artist and, it was largely sort of an incubator. Like there wasn't a lot of other inputs right. and, and it was in, you know, 2004, five, six, where you're like, sure, there, there is a thing. I wrote a blog, but like the responses took days to come in. You know, you published a blog and you're still getting comments like three weeks later on the same blog post <laughs> and versus three seconds later or three minutes or, you know, and the ability, as you said, to compare yourself to your neighbor um, was dramatically different. That was so simple, but just a reminder that that is an it's and nowadays in order to protect that, it's mm-hmm. a you have to you have to deploy active <laughs> countermeasures like you have to put up a fence. And I'm something that I'm profoundly interested in. I spend a lot of time reading is the the connection laterally between different types of uh, artistry. So like for the way that I love, I'm reading Susan Sontag on photography right now. And classic. I'm sure you love that. Class, um, classic. There's so many good books like that. I actually don't read books about music creativity so much, maybe about music history. Like I read a book about Rick Rubin in the studio, but I love other types of books about writing. And I'm curious um, just from, from a standpoint of I'm, so if I'm in the studio and I'm, I'm writing music and I can think of that, do you have that same thing come in, the comparison with with photography and I mean, at this point is is that is that something that that comes in or do you also have to meditate out of it at this point i'm uh photographically i think i i well this touches on a, a point you made earlier mastery so photographically i feel very comfortable um it's not my primary area of focus as it was for 20 years and it was because i i achieved mastery in photography. And when you, if you have to, if you wonder if you've mastered something yet, the answer is you haven't. If you've mastered something and you know the material front, back, left, you, the way I like to think about it is that you you know how to navigate, you don't know everything, but you know how to navigate the, the entire, say, world of photography. Mm-hmm. Where I still have a lot of that uh, doubt and comparo is in the areas that are new to me. Um, you know, I, I wrote a book in September called Creative Calling and put that b- book out there. And, you know, my reluctant re- uh, comparison to all the other friends of ours that have written books and other books on creativity. And there's sure. so many legends out there that was I was hyper aware of the comparison there. So to me, it wasn't so much in the area that I had mastered, although certainly that was a part of my trajectory as a photographer. But now these new areas that I'm going into writing and and entrepreneurship and, you know, building things for other creators that are in our community. Definitely, this is a very it's a very active, active process. It's part of what I think turned turned me toward meditation, mindfulness, um, Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I don't know. What about you with music? Is it similar or? Um, I don't know. I feel like music. I would say that I've mastered certain parts of it, but the more I go in, the more I realize that I, I, I haven't mastered. And I don't know if that's because music is just, it's so vast and it's, I could, I could say, well, I've mastered Ableton. I would say that if anything, the, the tool, like I am a master of using this particular tool, but, um, you know, right now I'm learning music composition, or I could then just go pick up the guitar and start at, (laughs) at day one again. So, um, but I will say that something that does happen over time is it's, it's, um, how do I say this? I don't doubt my ability to express myself. And when you, when I realize that actually the whole point is really just to express yourself and, and not to enter into the comparison stream, the best, the best music is someone's just telling a story and leaning on that is really, it's really the magic. And it's not about, uh, there's no one-upmanship. There's something that's more of a deeper connection with the process. So in that way, um, when I, when I lean on that, everything, everything makes sense and it's easy. You said something a second ago that I'm, I'm checking at the comments right now. Uh, the most popular um, restatement is this idea you said a moment ago, the idea, this, the creative gap, Ira Glass's creative gap, right? Where you are and where you want to be, the music that you hear in your head or the photograph that you see in your mind, and then being able to make that photograph. Mm-hmm. There's that a, a little bit of a gap there. And I think you said that frustration is fuel. And I think that is a very potent... Um, and it hangs in a really interesting balance with not wanting to compare yourself, but acknowledging that there is a gap and that your goal as a creator is to close the gap. And to me, why I brought this up now is mm-hmm. you just like slam this exclamation point at the end, which at the end of the day, the goal is really to be able to express yourself. So the creative gap is not the gap between you and someone else, but it's in it. between you and what it is that you want to say. hundred percent. That's that's you nailed it. So, but no, this is like, I got to give some credit here to, uh, um, Simon says, or Simon sees on, on Instagram, but okay. So if we accept that as true, just for the moment, what is it that you want to say right now? What, what stories are you telling with your music? Or if you could say it in words, what, what are you, what are you chasing right now? What kind of narrative? I think words are hilariously bad at being able to talk <laughs> about music, but um, what's the, there's some metaphor of like talking about music, writing about music is like dancing about architecture. Uh, <laughs> I, lo- I love that. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, but I will say that there is a, um, a, a causal relationship between the place that music is performed and then the, the music creation process. And the fact that there are no active music venues in, in the United States right now, there are no festivals, is really is fascinating. Um, one of my favorite books, uh, David Burns' How Music Works, he talks about this a lot, where when he was making, in the very early days before Talking Heads, they're making punk rock, and it sounded like CBGB. It's just like the gritty, old, fucked up speakers. You could hear it in the music, and there was a, there was a connection there. And I think the same thing goes for all this music that we make. And although I thought about it, I hadn't really felt it until poof, everything pandemic changes everything. And at some point it will all come back online in a different incarnation. I don't think we're going back 
to where it was, but there will be concerts again, there will be festivals, they're going to look different. But right now, um, my music has has become more reflective of an internal state because we, we are spending so much time in those internal states. I'm spending a lot more time uh, um, in our home studios. And in fact, Glitch Mob had a studio for the past couple of years that we moved out of. And we're doing everything remote for the first time ever, which has actually been a really fun uh, experiment because we're writing an album over Dropbox and Zoom, even though <laughs> we had the studio right down the street. So this is going to profoundly affect the music. And I think that the best music is, it's a pure authentic expression of the moment. And um, especially with what's happening right now, I think that there's, there's fear, there's uncertainty, there's, there's a lot of discipline. I know a lot of people that use music as therapy. It's like for myself, the music process, when I'm sitting down there in the studio for two or three hours working, that is my therapy. That's how I, it's, it's like, going to the gym or meditating or something. So um, the music that you're going to end up hearing from this whole process, I think in the next six months to a year is going to be an artistic reflection of the feeling of everything that's happening. And you, you have music that is much more specifically about the moment, like Run the Jewels, one of my favorite acts, you know, their last album, it's, it feels like a protest. You just listen to it. And I'm just like, wow, I'm there. And um, I've gone more internal. Um, but um, Glitch Mob has some music we are working on right now that was um, was from before everything happened. So it's been really interesting to take it through this whole process and and watch how something, even though it is it wasn't created in this particular moment, that um, it's almost like uh, when you hear when you when you hear music that you made at a certain point in time, even though it was only a couple months ago, I'm taken back to that memory hall as to what it felt like when we were making that. And it's like, oh, wow, things can change so rapidly in a month. So the music um, I noticed on, on Twitter on July 10th, you announced some new music. So that music, um, the remix from the Ghost of uh, Shima? Oh yeah, Ghost of, Ghost of Tsushima, yeah. Um, how long ago was that created? That was created, that was a couple months ago, um, yeah. earlier on this year. And that was actually really fun because we had the soundtrack for this incredible game and it felt like pure escapism. Like we were given all of these, these instruments, these, uh, the soundtrack is super cool for, for this game. Um, and I just was putting myself in feudal Japan. Uh, there's, samurais and swords and in that way it was much more of a specific exercise of painting a cinematic picture um so that way it's like oh yeah samurai let's let's go we can do this um but when i'm sitting down in front of a blank a blank canvas um everything's a you know it's, it's a different process to figure out what we want to say in that particular day fair enough um ash jensen is uh thanking you um this conversation she says is such a breath of fresh air we got guyana in the house uh south africa london new york brooklyn um the world says hello and is very grateful hello, world. for your um pov on creativity a lot of a lot of gratitude around uh, identifying the evil that comparison um creates now let's uh 
I want to dive a little bit deeper into that just for a second, because I feel like we, there's an open loop there that I'd like to close. Um, you talked about conditioning almost like going to the gym and the muscle was a word that you used around how to stay focused and ignore not just comparison, but other musicians. I'm paraphrasing what you said mm -hmm. and, you know, hold me to task if I'm getting it wrong, but how do you develop that muscle? Um, repetition, just like, just like going to the gym, I think discipline is so important with, with this. And especially right now, I feel like there's, there's so much, there's always some news. There's, there's some bad news that's going to come up today. And, and I mean, I'm not sure if people are familiar with the, the term doom scrolling yeah. <laughs> people. There's all sorts of bad news that that's going to continue and that's not going to stop. So I think that your muscle has to even be a little bit stronger right now. Um, but at the same time, there's a, it's not the same flavor of discipline that I need to just go to the gym and the gym. It's like, all you have to do, I go to, to a gym here in Los Angeles where it's, it's, it's like similar to functional fitness, CrossFit style class where you just show up and I don't have to, it's like a car wash. I just get there at 8am and then I'm done at nine. It's not like that. You don't just have to show up. I also do think that there is, um, there are other things to bring the muse to the table to be able to actually create. It's not as simple as, as just that, but I think that it's the, um, it's the falling in love with the process and not being goal oriented in the, in the sense of, okay, I need to make this one particular thing. I'm going to focus on that. It's, it's actually just the process itself and being present with that is when, is when the, uh, the magic happens because again, back to back to the comparison thing, I think it's so easy to get fixated on something that we that we want to do. But I will say that maybe eighty percent of the time, the really magical moments in all of the music that I've made, and specifically in Glitch Mob, were happy accidents. It was stuff that we were just messing around, and someone hit a note, and we're like, "Wait a second, what was that?" Just grab that because we were sitting there for hours just playing and messing, and we weren't thinking we are going to make a song that sounds like this. In fact, the, uh, the biggest song on our 2014 album, uh, Can't Kill Us, was the one that we made it at the very last minute. We were like, okay, the album's good. I don't I just like need something else. And we were like, I, maybe we'll add something with a guitar. And because it was so playful, we were just messing around. We had this particular guitar patch. We wanted to use this, this distortion and it ended up, turning into what was you know the the most listened to song um on that album but it wouldn't have happened if we had calculated every song that needed to be heard exactly before it was it had a chance to say what it wanted to say mm. that was an amazing album like oh, the, so the sophomore albums are always so hard so i mean <laughs> You know, especially after you, you bring an audience along with you as you guys did so well in 2010. And, uh, I, I thought that was an, that was a remarkable album and, uh, oh, thanks. well, yeah, well, let's, let me hear a little bit more about that. that that's a beautiful insight that the, the play is really what contributed that, um, that, you know, that breakthrough song, uh, what, what is someone facing when they staring down the idea of a sophomore movie product album um was there any you know particular psychology that you guys had around that 
Um, the sophomore album is, it's fascinating why it's classically such a difficult thing, because I think you get back into needing to top yourself or make something that was so grandiose. And, um, that second album, Love, Death and Mortality was a way for us to try something new. And also we've, we've done something pretty different each time in Glitch Mob where not the albums don't feel like they're, they're from the same exact thread there's some artists make make albums that have much finer tunes in between each one finer turns this one was like it still sounds like us but it was really a different movie altogether also if you think of them in terms of movies maybe they're part of a <laughs> uh it was almost a different series just in general so i think that um the play thing is really interesting because you can hear look listening back now we were just having so much fun writing that and we were very much thinking of it as a live album whereas drink the sea was an introspective album it was really meant to be heard on headphones we were spending time in the desert when we were writing and we were all going through the each all three of us had a really difficult moment in life so that album was more of like a, a diary whereas love death and mortality you can as, as i was talking about before you can hear the liveness you can hear the stage in the music and and it was so it was so fun electronic music was at a very it was a cool time around 2013 and 2014 and it hadn't become the the big um ever-present thing that it is now although it was it was starting to um but i think something that you said that you said just got me thinking about the power of play i have a actually my my music teacher if you're listening valente thank you for this metaphor um, he has these incredible metaphors and one of them we were talking about other day in, in the other day and actually one of my own problems in writing and learning um, is the idea that in your head you have a little kid with paints and then you have an editor with a clipboard and you don't really want them in the room at the same time yes mm. <laughs> context switching if the editor comes in while the kid is there painting it can just you can halt. So, and that's something that I, that I do. And in fact, now that I'm learning this like deeper music theory, um, I, my editor comes in and wants to change things before it's even, uh, been, been released. So my practice right now is to just play, 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 have fun, be in the moment and not really worry about it. Write drunk, edit sober, that, that whole thing. <laughs> That's great. Right drunk and it's over. Uh, I'm typing that right now. <laughs> Note to self. Yes. I think that's no, Hemingway. It's so damn inspiring, Justin, to hear you talk about. I mean, you've got, you know, you have songs on the charts and you are talking about your music teacher. Like that is this profound. And I remember the, like the first time we met thinking like you were asking the most thoughtful questions of you know, anyone that I'd spoken with and, you know, of course, over the course of the, the weekend that we were out there together and just so, so thoughtful and curious and how, how much of that is natural for you or cultivated? Um, it's a really good question. I don't know if I've thought about that before, but I have always been naturally curious, but I think that for me, my habit of reading has kept me um, more curious. I grew up, uh, my grandmother owned a bookstore, a little bookstore in the East Bay. 
called Orinda Books, and I, um, I would work in the, uh, the the children's books aisle, and I would recommend different children's books. So I was around books all growing up, and I think that having a lifelong reading habit has somehow helped me with the fact that, um, and I was always told that I could read whatever I want. And as long as I was reading, my grandparents said, great. And I, they, they, they knew something. So um, I think for me, even now, um, reading is a way for me to keep the curiosity muscle alive and, and apply that to everything. Because really, that's, that's really the magic of all of this stuff for me is just learning. And that's also the reason why um, yeah, I'm so I'm fascinated. I love uh, this. I mean, you have, you've been, you've created this whole world around the idea of taking creativity and, and nuggets from different people and then seeing how they can apply to other practices. Um, and you had Seth Godin on your show and he's one of my favorites because he's a marketing guy, but it doesn't matter. He's not really talking about marketing. Like he, you can take those little bits, his daily blog posts and apply it to, to anything. It's really, it's, it, he, he wouldn't call himself this, but I, th I think of him almost as like a spiritual guide in a certain way, a creative, creative spiritual guide. It's so true. And like the, the best marketing in a way is this sort of reliance on your own authenticity, the part of you that is the, the weird, you know, you know, James Victory, the artist is also well known for saying, you know, what made you weird as a kid? will make you great today. And how do we double down yes. on that and lean into that? And Seth is so good at just like, you know, purple cow. And you think about all his books and what a, what a genius and a sweetheart at the same time. Oh my I, gosh. That's exactly what, that's exactly it. You're right. It's about, I had never thought about what I liked about him so much, but it's that he's constantly pushing your authenticity button because that's really, and I think for, yeah, for, for everything we do in music, but anything really like, how do you get through the overthinking and get to the authentic thing that you actually need to say that? And that's, and that's it. Yeah. He, I had the good fortune. He read my, an early draft of my book and gave me feedback. It was like the best feedback. Oh my gosh. I've, Oh man. Like talk about, you know, getting the lesson and writing a book. It was just such a laser on the, and I just look back at the, like, what would the book be like if he hadn't have, you know, helped me think clearly about it? Um, wow. Yeah. Dude's a legend. Um, all right. I, I want to shift gears here. And I know a story about you secondhand um, about being fired from a job early on in your uh, career. And maybe it was let go. Maybe fired is too strong. I, I don't know the particulars. Um, had you, would you have made the leap to your aspiration on being a full-time musician or did you need that nudge or kick or push? Um, because there's a lot of people right now who are looking for an excuse, looking for a reason. And I'm wondering if you, if you needed that or if today you feel like you'd be strong enough to take the leap without the nudge that you got at some point in your past, wondering if you could recount the story and, and, and a uh, little context around it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was working in San Francisco right around the time that glitch mob was turning from a hobby and it was just starting to take on a life of its own. 
and uh, my, the bandmates, Ed and Josh lived in Los Angeles and I was working five days a week and then I would come home and go to the studio at night. And then Friday and Saturday, Sunday, I would fly out and play some shows. And when the, the company folded and I got laid off, that was a huge light bulb went off. Um, memory is so fallible. It's hard to say, but in that moment, I, I remember loving my comfortable place in San Francisco. My family's from there and it was leaving this zone of comfort of comfortability and saying, you know what? I am going to come to Los Angeles. I'm going to move down and, and just figure it out. I moved down to Ed's house and I stayed in his room. Uh, he had an extra room there for a month. Um, I don't know if I would have done that if, if I didn't have that nudge. I really don't because I never thought I was going to be a professional, whatever that means, I think a musician, or at least like that's what I did with most of my time. You know, I went to uh, school, I have a, a degree in film and I thought I wanted to go, I was learning post-production. I love, and I still love After Effects and Cinema 4D and stuff like that. But that's what I was like, I get to sit in my studio and make visuals and edit and learning Final Cut Pro and all of that. And then I just fell in love with uh, with making the music for the films way more than actually editing them. But I never set out like, I'm gonna go and do this. I wish I could say that I knew from an early age that I was gonna travel around the world. I, like, no, it wasn't actually until my, that was my, geez, tw late 20s. Um, I'm in my late 30s now. So this was like pretty, pretty late in and what people would consider this whole artistic uh, path that you know there's this I mean some people just catch a lightning bolt and all of a sudden at age 21 everything works out but I know so many people that it didn't actually happen until much later in time so yeah. for me the the, uh, the the tables turning like that was really what I needed to then just just take the jump and say you know what I'm just gonna go ahead and and trust this trust i think that is a, a huge aspect of the creative process or maybe even life process um i want to speaking of process uh i want to talk a little bit more about your creative process you've already cited like the ability to have fun and to sit down in the studio and um write drunk edit sober um anything else key to your process? Uh, are you a morning creator, an evening creator? Um, and again, I, I'm not really a looking for tips and hacks kind of a guy, but just hearing a little bit about how individual creators create, it was always, you know, I've read a lot of, read a lot, as you, you have said the word books probably 10 times already in our conversation as a huge source of inspiration for you. The same is true for me. I read a lot of biographies and I found it interesting, the, the wide range and it helped me understand that basically this, what's what Warhol does and Basquiat does and, uh, David Bowie did, or, um, Linda Ronstadt, like, the range of what's possible for a creative uh, process is unlimited, but it helped me feel okay to read about that. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what can you talk about your creative process in a way that helps us see into it? Absolutely. Um, 
I used to be a nighttime creator. I was a night owl for most of my life and I've switched to being a, a morning person, which is really interesting because I thought that the magic really only happened after midnight. But later in time, what I realized, it was more that there was a feeling that society had, had gone to sleep and I was now alone. There's no text coming in or even just this sense that like, okay, I'm off in my, my studio right now. But um, I st- a couple of years ago, I started experimenting with, with morning work. And at first it was really strange because norm- normally I would be up, up, I would work till four or five in the morning sometimes. And that's just when the magic would happen and sleep till noon, get up and do it again. But what I realized for me now that I started working in the morning is that it was more about the momentum of knowing that for me at the same time every day, roughly, I'm going to get into the studio and do the thing. So I creative momentum. I cannot overstate how impactful that is for me, even if it's, um, you know, an hour or two hours. I like a chunk of two hours. Um, but even an hour, honestly, even 30 minutes, I've been able to get a lot done. Um, <clears throat> in fact, my ambient project superposition, Matt, my my um, collaborator, when we wrote that album in um, 2018 and 2019, we only had, just because of our schedules and other work uh, um, engagements, we only really had an hour or two in the morning. We wrote the whole album over the course of pretty much hour chunks like three or four days a week, he would come over, we'd have a coffee, hyper focus for an hour. And then it's funny because wow. we were making chill ambient music, but um, <laughs> we, we, every now and again, we would get together on a Saturday and, and work, but it was really those little bits. So for me, there's something about, so if I have five days in a row where I'm working at the same time every day, it is so much better than, even if it's just an hour, than say like Monday, Thursday, Sunday, full days, it's, it's a, completely different thing. Wow. Wow. So I would like to uh, read a little, I don't think you know this, but I cited you in my book and I'm going to read you two paragraphs from the book and I want you to respond to it. Uh, this particular section is, a, yeah, this particular <laughs> section is about tracking time and schedules. And mm-hmm. I think you're, you're, uh, you're, I wasn't planning on doing this, but when you started talking about how the schedule created momentum and momentum is so valuable. I just pulled it up here. Um, Clocks can be useful in other ways as well. Justin Barrett of the electronic music trio, the glitch mob turned me on to the Pomodoro technique invented Mm. by the Italian academic Francesco Cirillo in the late eighties. It's a brutish, but effective technique to push through creative blocks and keep working on tasks required that require extended concentration, like writing or composing music. Set a timer for 25 minutes, work without interruption, and then take a five-minute break. That's one Pomodoro. In Italy, kitchen timers are often shaped like tomatoes, hence the name. Uh, Complete four Pomodoros and then take a 15-minute break, rinse and repeat. This method first found wide acceptance in academia, but many creators use it as well. Beretta is a certifiable rock star, and he swears by it. If you find yourself easily distracted, try one of the many Pomodoro apps. So... Thank you, because <laughs> I was writing, again, my, I'm a visual artist, you know, mixed media, photography, all that stuff. It's just, it's so instant and instantaneous. And even if the setup to the thing takes weeks or months in the moment, I'm just easily focused. Writing is brutal, so brutal for me. And that got me through it. How did you get introduced to it? 
and clearly you believe in it. I've seen a bunch of tweets from you on it. Um, <laughs> I, know, I want so I won't shut up about it. I, I I have to read your book, by the way. Uh, thank you. I'm, for that. I, I, I'll send you a copy as soon as we're done. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna devour that. Um, I don't actually remember where I first heard about it. It might have been Tim Ferriss, um, but either way, there's something about the um, the fact that especially right now there are so many distractions that saying that for this time even if it's just for 30 minutes i mean now i'm doing two hour chunks um where i'm not doing anything else i'm not going to get up and get some chips i'm not going to the bathroom no texting no emailing certainly no twitter just this and one of those a day just even one 30 minute chunk will be better than two distracted uh, hours. I, I really believe in that. Now, I don't think it, um, you know, it doesn't work for everyone. I have had other people say that, that it, it is too regimented for them, but I think everyone's creative process is, is so particular, but for me, there's something about it. It's just the magic potion. If I can't get through something, yeah, I will do a Pomodoro right there. And I also have a timer um, that is so I'm not using an app on my phone just to get the phone further away. Uh, There's a little like $4 Amazon uh, timer. Ring. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and um, one time I saw Trent Reznor speak, who's one of my favorite musicians and composers, and people were asking about how, like, how do you get through creative blocks? Um, and actually, he was, he was on stage talking to David Byrne. And wow, that's a power said, duo. Oh my oh, gosh, it was incredible. Oh <laughs> and there's this idea that um, that he expressed so beautifully, which he said, you know, the good ideas come at random times. He said something like, you have to be there with your antenna up ready. So even if you do a Pomodoro or whatever, you have 60 minutes and nothing happens, that's okay. Because it might be in that last one minute where you finally just get one sentence out. That's good. And that can actually be, be the thing. So that's the thing that I think another people including myself can get caught up on is that every time you, you sit down to create, you have to move the needle. But I think just, even if you just, you know, one little thing is just enough as long as it is, as, as you are sitting there and going through the practice and doing it. Well, the momentum concept, like clearly that manifest momentum, if you get one sentence, one sentence is a hundred percent more than you had in the previous minute. Right. And I think that's, that's right. I found it like to me, that is not the basis for my creative process. That is if I'm fucked, <laughs> like if I'm stuck, <laughs> right. I'm like, all right, bring out. It's like the, it's like the, um, it's like the nudge that, you know, losing your job created for you to step into, you know, the next chapter. This mm -hmm. is just a very micro version of that. It's the, it's this, a nudge, a constraint that you agree to abide by. And it has a way of, uh, of focus that it's pretty hard to wiggle out of. I think it's interesting that you don't actually use your phone as the timer. That's a, a trap probably as well for a lot of people. You pick that thing up. Um, it, it is. And I think there's something about, I've, I've noticed for me, this is a, a strange one, but if I have my phone near me, um, it is very different than if I take my phone and I put it in a different room. Cause I feel like at this point, especially when traveling, I've spent so much time on my phone 
that my brain is cybernetically connected to it through the ether. So if I put it away, it's a lot easier to focus. But if it's sitting there looking at me, even if I'm not touching it, it's it's kind of yeah begging yeah. for. <laughs> Where'd it go? <laughs> I can did see I get, you. Did I get some likes? Some likes. <laughs> um, speaking of that, I think that's a, a beautiful setup about attention and attention meditation mindfulness if mindfulness is the directing attention um your collaboration with uh folks like ram das and alan watts um first of all incredible uh second my wife my wife is a meditation and mindfulness rather teacher Mm. and studied uh with baba ram das and when when you released the vinyl that was a present that i bought for her yeah yeah i I meant to reach out to you and have you send me a a signed one so i'll get you a book you get me a signed version of that uh that you got it um but what a beautiful uh project and so i'm curious clearly there was a reason for wanting both to you know, create the music and to collaborate with Ram Das, And I'm wondering if you can just start to open this chapter of the conversation for us around why uh, Ram Das, Alan Watts, your collaborations with them, what attention means, uh, the, the mind and the mi- mindset has played, the role that those things have played in your journey. Oh, wow. That, I'm, I'm really touched that you bought that vinyl for your wife. That's so cool. And it, um, thank you for doing that. That supports the the Love Serve Remember Foundation and the whole project of keeping that going. Because ultimately, um, for me, it's about that particular project is about creating rabbit holes back down to these teachings that were really impactful for me. So, yeah, I I had encountered Ram Dass's books at a point in time when it didn't actually make sense to me. So, but I kept them around. I was like, a lot of people I know love these, but it just didn't, it didn't connect. I was like, I don't know, he's talking about God and like mystical what? I just didn't get it. It wasn't, it was the meat and potatoes mindfulness that really got me first. I would say meat and potatoes, like TM. It's yep. just yeah, 20 minutes a day. Sorry, 20 minutes at a time, twice a day. So, but at some point in time, later on, um, the Ram Das really clicked for me. The, the teachings really, I was like, oh, I get it. And um, I wanted to create something to use music as a way to spread it to um, to the world. And it's one of those things that, and I love to hear these stories because it's certainly not for everybody, but if you connect with it, if you get it, it's a really cool thing because there's nothing else out there like it. And when we were touring around in 2018, Glitch Mob was, we would do these huge meet and greets, 50 70 people. Sometimes there was only five, but sometimes they were, they were really big. And every now and again, maybe like one out of every, you know, five to 10 shows, someone would come up with a Ram Dass vinyl and say, Hey, like this thing got me meditating. And for me, that was really the whole, the whole point is that music is just a way back down to the stuff. And it was the same thing with, um, with Alan Watts. It was not only is he someone that, um, his books really meant a lot to me and I still read them all the time right now, but his, he's such an incredible orator. I mean, his voice and his, oh my God, yeah. his command of the language is really incredible. I mean, it was really a dream to work with and to get to um, become friends with his, with his son, Mark, and also the Ram Dass foundation. So through this, we started this project of pairing it, you know, and 
up until now, it's only been myself and superposition, but we're starting the project of bringing in other artists to do this because the idea is really that um, the meditate, the guided meditations on their own with they, they occupy a very particular space. And with a little bit of music, I think of it as adornment. You know, I don't want the music to feel um, overpowering. I don't like it when there's strings playing over a meditation and someone is telling you what to feel. It's more that it's like a, uh, just a, a place, like we're setting it in a frame. And um, it's, it's a, we've started sending some meditations to other electronic musicians and it's been really Ooh. exciting for them to just basically get to hang sonic uh, bits on top of it to really give you something else to listen to. So I, I think of it for, um, you know, there's a lot of meditation teachers that would say music. Oh no. Like you can, you, that, that's, that's TM. Big, no, no, like, no, 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 <laughs> no, no music. And, and I do get that. I mean, I've, I've sure. spent a lot of time meditating and I do think that, you know, ultimately um, if I was going to, when I'm doing guided meditations, um, they don't always have music, but think of it like if you have, if you want a, your pet, you want a dog to take a pill and you like put it inside of peanut butter. It's kind of like that. It's just, mm, I almost like to taste good. And it's a way to, <laughs> to get it down the pipes. Um, so that was really the, the, the goal of the whole project. And we're launching a, a label around this to oh, be wow. able to, to connect the dots and, and ultimately have other, other artists and creators find that thing that's really meaningful to them and then add their touch to it and, and, create those touch points to create more, more rabbit holes back down. If if there's anything I can do to help or share or promote, or I would, I'm a huge advocate. I think the sugar with the medicine or the (laughs) pill with the peanut butter, um, I'm starting to realize that that is that this mindfulness, if, if the most value, the thing that we have, if we have anything using the word thing lightly, if we have anything in this world, we have our attention, right? Because just like whatever you're focusing on, that is your reality. If you are the the thoughts and emotions that you're feeling, it your attention is literally the only thing that you have. And whether you put, point that towards, you know, things that make you happy or sad, or you're aware of the itch that you have on the foot on your foot, or how you're making someone else feel, like at the end of the day, I'm starting to wonder if if all of this for me is is like it's not an accident we talked about all the creative process and we're talking about you know mindfulness and attention and ramdas and you know at, at at the end of our conversation here like it, it this is the pill this is the That's trojan it. horse and it's i find it uh uh almost accidental but i can't not keep going there because at the end of the day if all you have is your attention um why not you know choose where you place it choose very very wisely yes um your i didn't know you were a tmer um for those of you who i mean you've been listening to the show at all i I basically talk about tm every you know three or four episodes most of my guests have done it um i talk or tim ferris talks about me beating him over the head with it me and and (laughs) rick rubin uh finally getting him to turn to tm um, can you talk to me about your experience finding it and you still practice, um, benefits, drawbacks? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, all of the esoteric woo-woo spirituality just didn't work for me in the beginning. Although I, I got more woo-woo later in time. <laughs> TM, when I, um, I have a friend that was working on a campaign um, raising money with the David Lynch Foundation, and they were bringing meditation to schools. And so they got to bring in some friends. So I got to go for the weekend. And there was something about the investment in uh, the time of really learning this. But more than that, it was the it was the prescription of what is this twenty minutes? I mean, it's the same thing as as Pomodoro creating too. It's the yeah. exact same thing. Where I thought, okay, it's, there's a, there's a a mindful momentum there. If I'm just going to do this twenty minutes in the morning and twenty minutes in the evening, I'm going to try it for a week and see how I feel. And after a week, it, I was isn't it bonkers? <laughs> bonkers. It is. And, yes, it, it's <laughs> it was, bonkers. The different the the, the control that you have over yes. your attention and your uh i don't know sorry I, i'm interrupting you just because it's no such that's a, it it's such, so profound i could talk to you about this for five hours because i'm so fascinated by the overlap of mindfulness and creativity and the way that i think it's it's the same thing that we're talking about when um when you're in the studio or when you're creating and you need to to focus and not let the distraction break the attention there really is nothing that's a better training specifically for creating than meditation that, that I have found. Um, it's almost like when people are training for a long, a long run and they'll go high up to a high altitude to sort of get their lungs used to it and then come back down again. So for me, it's very lateral, but also, I mean, yes, I, there's a lot of ways to apply meditation to productivity as a productivity tactic, but ultimately the attention thing, as you said, zooming out is really just that's what you have. It's your only thing. Creativity is one of those things, but it also helps my uh, relationships in my life and uh, communication with loved ones and just navigating through life in general, especially um, for me, the, the TM gave me what I felt like was a very firm grounding. Like I felt like my mindfulness container was strong when I first went to a 10 day silent retreat. Um, and once I had that foundation there, then going into loving kindness meditation and, and bringing compassion into that container, that was the, the magic pal for me was, uh, going, going deeper. But for anyone that is struggling getting into meditation, um, TM for me was a hundred percent the ramp into it. Uh, I, I absolutely share that uh, sentiment. And I had experienced a lot that came, my original was, a, a acquaintance with, I'll, I'll say it started out of visualization in sports. I went to college on a soccer scholarship and played at the Olympic, uh, an Olympic development team. And there we had access to that. This was a long time ago. I'm a hundred years old. And, but it get, like, it was so like brutally effective. Like I was like, Oh, like what is this shit? This is like powerful medicine, and it went away as I stepped away from that that competitive side of things. And then I also tried four or five different things, and they all were. Uh, I just didn't feel like there was enough simplicity and or structure. It was like I had to hop on one leg and then ring a bell and you know just do all <laughs> kinds of shit. And this was just so brutally simple. It's twenty minutes. You are given a mantra. You say that mantra. When your attention wanders, you bring it back to the mantra. 
end of story. Like nothing else, that is it. And the uh, process of, uh, like, like you said, it, I had tried so many other things and this thing worked. And mm-hmm. um, I began actively prescribing it. I shared the story with Tim and he said the same thing. He's like, I, we were hanging out and he <laughs> said, like, dude, you seem like you got your shit together. Like what's happening? And I was like, this is going to be weird, man. But, you know, and I think he, he was, uh, well, I, I won't share what he was thinking about at the time, but, he, <laughs> and he was like, fine. And he, it, it's a little bit, there's a, uh, in order to sort of get your mantra, you need to go, uh, to the tm.org and pay a fee. And that turns a lot of people off. And I remember Tim was incessantly like, dude, are you, come on. I'm like, yeah. I, I will pay for it for you. Like, right. do not let that block you. That's right. And so to hear that the structure was powerful, the simplicity in the structure was powerful for you. I would just invite folks. I don't care if it's TM. I just think TM is, as you said, a great on-ramp. I love that. I'm going to use that for evermore. Can you describe for me, this is this maybe just, it'll roll off your tongue or maybe it's difficult, but describe the difference in your day-to-day, I will call it stature before and let's say after, you know, you said a week, give me, I'm going to say six months after TM. Like, how did your brain function differently for the folks at home who are trying to understand why so many of the people that are top performers have a meditation practice? I'm trying to paint a picture. Mm-hmm. I think that um, the main thing that I realized was that I was constantly lost in thought before I was meditating. It was almost like I was confused. And I still was able to navigate life and do the things I needed to do. But it was this, um, you know, pardon the cliche, but it felt like I woke up from from a, a bit of a slumber. And the meditation itself is incredible. And I love meditating. But it wasn't actually the sitting on the cushion that was the magic. It was when I would catch myself, maybe it was if someone said something that irritated me and you all of a sudden there's this quick space that you have, uh, maybe you can decide, wait, wait a second, Justin is feeling triggered right now and feeling angry. Now I can decide whether or not to react from that place. There's a little more. That's not to say that it made me into a perfect person. It's far from the truth, but it just creates a little bit of space there in all of these decisions to where before that, I think that being lost in thought when you don't know you're lost in thought is kind of a hazard. (laughs) (laughs) Danger, danger. Yes. So for me, and it's a constant, it, it's a constant practice and I, my meditation practice has deepened since then. Um, and it, it's, there's no place that of, in, in my experience, there's no place that you, you hit where it all just kind of makes sense. It just, it becomes more detailed over time. It gets deeper and more nuanced. And the times that I'll catch myself throughout the day um, being present or the ability to do that, that it, it really cascades into every area of life for me. That is a ringing endorsement that I would, you know, I would uh, add a plus one to that. Just, it seems the, the way that I think about it is it, it, things move in slow motion. I like you, your description was better because the concept of slow motion sounds, sometimes it has a negative connotation, but like the, the gaps around thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, have you, you have the chance to actually decide how this particular person who cut you off in traffic or this piece of news that you regard as, maybe counterproductive that 
came your way, how you react. And you can recognize those things as thoughts, right? You're, you can either be in the waterfall or you can stand away and you can look at the waterfall. And I think that is a, that's a beautiful way of, you know, this, this idea, the space around the thoughts. I'm going to also borrow that if I may. Um, yes. I, I love the idea of this, of the space. Cause it reminds me of negative space in music or in, in uh, visual art. There's something about, you know, they're looking at like Rothko or something this beautiful. It's just, it's really space. And I think that there's something to that in, in the sense of the reason why so much beautiful, deep art, is really a is is happens in between the lines for me it speaks to um that state of of understanding how how consciousness really is and what it's like to to be us and something that you said before in terms of tm costing money um there is something about if one can afford it to pay the money to invest but if you can't which a lot of people cannot it's really just mantra-based meditation. If it's something that's like, oh my God, this is this is too expensive. I couldn't possibly afford this. It's really the um, the repeating of this mantra. You can find other sorts of mantra-based meditation online, which is not the same thing, but it will it'll get the job done. And I and I, I love that you um, that you feel comfortable talking about the the nuts and bolts of it yeah. because um it's it's really such a, a powerful thing that i think people need to have access to yeah and that's the way the reason it was easy for me to pay the money and i say easy coming from a place of privilege and recognizing that but knowing that it will help that practice reach more people that's part of what is uh that's why i'm not afraid to talk about it and i i think it's um that is the value of contributing to that as you said though getting started anything calm app the free trial like any of these meditations online youtube yeah you do it's like <laughs> it's it, it's it's available for you and um i'm hoping to um i'm trying to take the surprise out of it if you look into it and don't think that i'm sort of some like i'm hawking anything and the flip side of that is not required and i appreciate your your pov there um mm -hmm. So this magical space, uh, the space where you get the, the opportunity to choose your response, to, to be aware of that you are actually having a thought rather than you are the thought. I'm having the thought that Justin may be triggered because this person pulled out in front of me and, you know, on the 110. Um, <laughs> the you have been outspoken especially lately around the use of psychedelics for their role in mental health and i'm wondering if you know if if anyone is at all sort of practiced in this school of thought robert alpert aka ram das timothy leary these are you know former harvard professors that were relieved of their roles at harvard during the psychedelic age for you know practicing with lsd and they have gone on their own personal journeys uh, and now have come around to um, the role of mindfulness in their lives and pop culture, the benefits and whatnot. And yet there's still a role for psychedelic medicine. You've been outspoken as have many of our friends. Uh, I'm wondering if you can talk about the role mm -hmm. of plant, plant medicine, 
uh, for you for in culture and the relationship that it has, say, with these areas we've been talking about most recently here, meditation, mindfulness, awareness, attention? Absolutely. I mean, I, the, the role of psychedelics have played in, in my life. Um, it's, it started off just taking acid as a kid and, or in my, in my late teens, just messing around with friends and, um, recreation, recreation. And, um, looking back now, I'm glad I had those experiences, but it's moved into therapeutic standpoint. And I can't necessarily recommend at this point, recreational use for anyone. Um, so f- taking the ceremonial uh, therapeutic lens of everything and treating these substances as a teacher and as a sacrament and reading and learning about this changed um, also in, co- in conjunction with mindfulness and meditation, just changed the way that I interface with reality, with other people, with everything. Um, I've seen friends have really profound healing on them. I have seen all sorts of incredible things happen. And I think that all of the people who have been involved in wanting to make these more available, it's the same sort of conversation we were just having about with meditation, where it's like, well, I've had this experience and I come out of it thinking, oh my gosh, I wish this was cheap and safe and available for everyone with a, uh, with a therapeutic lens. I don't think that mushrooms should just be legal. And I don't think that teenagers should be necessarily just eating Eating acid and and, and just seeing what happens by any means, um, because there is no culture around, um, it's no manners and, and mind mindful, um, guidance around how these are supposed to be used in other cultures. There are, um, in, in Mexico, families eat psilocybin mushrooms together. Uh, you go see the healer and they'll actually eat the mushrooms and heal along with you. There's all sorts of cultures in which for thousands of years, for millennia, this has been part of, of the fabric of society. And, it's, and it is here in an underground way. But I'm really excited about the fact that the West is trying to figure out how to integrate these into daily life. Um, or at least make them make them accessible in the same way that let's say a meditation retreat is, where you could say, uh, "I would like to go out to the desert and stay at this retreat facility and under medical guidance and have these experiences that are completely safe." That's the ultimate goal with all of this work. And then also microdosing is another thing that comes up a lot. And as we know, the mental health care system in the United States. Uh, has its issues could be even to be said to be completely broken and tragic, (laughs) tragic. And some people have had some really good progress uh, on depression, anxiety, all the, you know, the the big ones that I think psychedelics are there to, to help and to be an aid through this. They are not a magic bullet. I think on the other side of this, it's really easy to become overly optimistical and fantastically minded about the fact that like these things are just going to come in and fix everything. I don't think that's the case. I think it's the combination of all of these things that, yeah that we know um, along with the, the medicine and for artists, creatives in particular, um, something that, well, you know, Paul Stamets says a lot. He's a 
outspoken about all of this stuff. And he's just, he's so incredible. But the, the idea that um, I cannot do what I want with my consciousness is egregious. That especially whenever you're not hurting anyone else um, and you're doing it for personal growth, exploration, spiritual connection. Um, he's, you know, he speaks specifically about it around end of life anxiety for terminal cancer patients and palliative care. There's this whole vast range from everything from that to just being a human who wants to have some personal growth. Um, I think that in the next decade, this is in the West, barring some huge catastrophe, and this is all going to, to happen. Um, and I'm, I'm just really, I'm excited that this is that we're living through this right now. Yeah, it is a clear renaissance. And I think what a lot of that affect failed in the 60s because it was um, identified as recreation first. And I love the qualifiers that you put in and around it so powerful and help make the the case. And, um, you know, for anyone who's curious, um, Michael Pollan's book, uh, How to Change Your Mind, very powerful Paul Stamet's uh, work. Um, there's a, you know, a, our friend Tim, we've talked about a couple of times, you know, putting millions of his own dollars on the line in order to advance the, the um, research and development of this medicine. I just, just, it's very, a lot of people in the comments right now talking about um, Radona, talking about microdosing, um, mm -hmm. Seven Star Creative, uh, Ash Jensen wants some help with long-term trauma, Yash, uh, Robert Smith, Sarah, um, Drew Hitchcock. The, they're, and this is a, a handful of different um, platforms are coming in and that this lights up in the context of specifically not recreation, but medicine. And what is lost on a lot of people is this is the journey of most substances, right? They're thought of it. They're either absolutely legal and then they get clamped down only to find out that they do have like the fact that our bodies have receptors for this chemicals, these chemicals, and are able to produce them naturally because they, we don't have a receptor for things that we can't make. Like that in and of itself is a simple yes. argument for why this is, it's, um, uh, it should not be verboten, you know, it should be something yes. that's embraced. Um, wondering if you, uh, if there are other works and literature that you'd point people towards um if they're curious for more absolutely yeah um there's a magazine online right now and there's a print too but they're called double blind and they're they're a new young incredible psychedelic uh publication and they, they have a lot of really functional stuff in there so if people are wondering about what's the deal with microdosing? What's the deal with this and that? It's a really good, it's almost like wired mag for, for psychedelics. And I've become friends with them and they're just I, I'm so, so into them. Um, there's another book that I'm just reading right now called Entangled Life. And it's not specifically about uh, psychedelics, but it it is. Um, and it's by this scientist named Merlin Sheldrake, who's in the, this documentary called Fantastic uh, Fungi, which I highly recommend everyone watch. But it's a book about the lens of the ecosystem and the earth through through mycology. And it, it has a pretty compelling argument for all this stuff as well. And then um, 
if you want to go deeper, I think Michael Pollan's book, as for as far as long form goes, is the best intro. Not even just an intro, it's the best overview. It's incredible. He's one of my favorite writers in general. I love just reading anything that he writes. Um, to go a little bit deeper, there's a book called Sacred Knowledge by by Bill Richards, who um, has been working at Johns Hopkins with terminal cancer patients and putting together the psilocybin uh, research since uh, before they were when everything was legal. And this book, it's a little it's, it's a little heady, but I actually find it to be super profound. And if anyone wants to deep dive, that's that's the, my favorite. Awesome. Well, I want to put a bow on our conversation over the past hour and it would be hard to do so with a single um, with a single question. So I'm going to ask you to to walk the earth with me for a second. So what do you trace the role of your own personal creative journey in your health, your happiness, your well-being, your traversing the landscape of the range of emotions. And I realize that's just a massive question, but that helps me at least push your boat in a direction. And like, so, so up for me, if you will, the last 10 years of your life, the awakenings, the like, what do you know to be true? And what are you working on? What direction are you walking in right now on the, at the highest level you can possibly zoom out to? Hmm. That is a great, nuanced, deep question. I love that. Um, and I don't know if I've ever been asked anything quite like that before, but... That's my job. <laughs> I love that. I love that. No, um, I, I, I'm just curious. Like you, there's, you're in a raft right now and you're rowing and I want to know what you're rowing towards or away from or what's, you know, what's sewing together your narrative right now. The, the main thing that I've taken from all of this stuff that really sews it together is gratitude. And it sounds, it sounds corny and it can sound like a platitude, but um, in, if I'm working on music and I become frustrated, if I'm on stage or I'm, I'm lacking sleep from living on a bus for two months, if I come back to being grateful for any particular experience, it almost just, it unlocks all of it. And you learn that in, I've learned that in my experiences with psychedelics and with meditation as well, that gratitude is a key that no matter how difficult something is, uh, it will unlock a state of presence because it's so easy to push against something. So for me, I want my music to become further and further into i'm going to push it further and further into gratitude and and become more and more grateful to have an audience it's so easy especially right now the music industry and then i say the industry meaning the, the the way that we get from music from an artist to the listener is um in a huge straight state of of transition so um for me coming back to saying thanks for the opportunity to be alive and to be creating and have be able to share it with anyone and potentially make a difference in someone's life through any one of these, these uh, methods. That's really my guiding light through all of this. It seems then not an accident that uh, superposition is a current project for you. It seems 
intimately related and maybe I'm making a connection where there's not one, but uh, is there a connection there and, and does, is superposition in service of that? And if so, can you tell us just a, because we've talked sort of opaquely about superposition and a, you know, a, a label that can help, you know, but you know, I'm, I'm, I just pulled up a note that uh, I see somewhere in your universe, immersion into the inner universe, a meditative, meditative antidote to a world of digital overwhelm. What, you know, put a bow on what is superposition and how it relates to this direction that you're rowing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I hadn't actually made the connection until you said that right there, but the, the, there is a hundred percent, a, um, an aura of gratitude around that whole project because making ambient music, you know, some of them are meditations and some of them is really just pure ambient music is, is, uh, it's a very niche thing. I do it because I love it in my and we just I love ambient music. I love music that fills the space. And especially with these meditations, it is my way of um, painting a picture that um, I would like to share this lens of gratitude and, and create rabbit holes back down to this place that's been really meaningful for me. But um superposition specifically with um, with, with uh, my partner Matt Davis and the project is really all about, it's not just ambient music because that's such a strange umbrella because ambient music can play in the spa or it can play in the beginning of a creepy Halloween movie. <laughs> but for us, it's really about the drawing the line between healing and, and music, but not, not in a way that, that um, we're dictating what the listener wants to hear, but it's more creating a space through sound and through high, high production quality music that, can make the listener feel held by the sound. I guess I'll say that. Mm, a little cocoon. That's like you right. said earlier, a frame. I love it. Audio cocoon. Audio cocoon. I'll take um, that. I'll also, I got to put a plug in for you on your ambient rituals playlist. Big fan. Love, oh, it, when nice, you, love, really? it, love it when you update it. Have it going <laughs> all the time. Amazing. Uh, I'm talking about Spotify. Uh, look up ambient rituals, which is... Uh, is that do you do that solo or is that is that you and uh, the other guys in the glitch mob? Is that um, that's is just that, me? With, that I did that, it. Okay, cool. I host it on the glitch mobs uh, Spotify because then all the fans coming in there get to experience it. So it's a little it's a little catch for the for the deeper the deeper stuff. But yeah, you can I think it's on my um, my Instagram and my website. You can get the get the link to it there. But there's 35 hours of ambient music. There's not a single filler song in there. I love every song <laughs> that's in there. So I'm glad I'm glad that you like it. I hope people can take it and put it on shuffle. Um, yeah. I don't think like, I've ever hit forward. I don't okay. think I've ever hit the next song. I'm always content with uh, what is playing in this. Your curation is masterful and it's just, it is really um, a cocoon. It's, it's beautiful. And you, you mentioned uh, your Insta and a couple of other places. I want to, give people a little bit of direction where they can find more. Um, what, what are your coordinates on the internet you'd like to direct people at? Um, I want to say one quick thing is that if you do find a song that you're hitting skip, please let me know. Just like, just, <laughs> just text me and I got, I'll, I'll get rid of it. That's okay. really the, the skip test is important, but you can find me on my website, which I'm in the middle of redoing right now is Boretta.net, B-O-R-E-T-A. And then um, at the glitch mob. And at Beretta everywhere else on Twitter, Instagram. Amazing. 
huge speaking of gratitude i feel super lucky to have uh, had this conversation with you and uh grateful that you are um leading the charge in so many ways and uh inspiring a lot of people towards a new way of thinking and being in the world your art uh your the inspiration that you provide is really valuable so i want to give a personal uh debt of gratitude and hell yeah Thank you. Thank you, Chase. Thanks for having me. And I just want to also say thanks for everything you do. And the the connecting of the dots from different modalities is so close to my heart. I think I thank you. Keep on fighting the good fight. Happy to do it. Signing off for uh, everybody out there in the world. We'll hopefully uh, be in your ears again tomorrow. Hey, that was an awesome episode. But before you bounce, just I got three quick thoughts. First, thank you for being in this community. It gives me so much juice. I can't even tell you so much juice that when I hit publish and this show goes out into the ether, that there's an amazing community of like-minded people just like you consuming and sharing the show. So thank you. Second, it would be huge. It would mean the world to me if you left a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, we're regularly featured at the top slot there on Apple's podcast page and others in Spotify, etc. And that's because of your reviews. So if you've ever wanted to uh, lend a hand or you got some value from me in the past and you want to pay it forward, that would be amazing. And then lastly, it would also mean the world to me if you shared the content that you get here. Whether it's a screenshot or a photo of where you're listening, anything via Instagram stories um, or any other social feeds tagging me and the guests. Now, I repost this content and your comments all the time, so I would love to share your shoutouts in my feed too. Um, not only do these shoutouts uh, are, are they good for you and me, but they also help us book amazing guests because they see the reach that you cultivate. This is a way for you to help contribute to the show. So, again, I want to say thanks. I'm just at Chase Jarvis. You can use at Creative Live as well. And the guests are easy to track down because they are, well, they're usually quite well-known people. Um, but again, thank you so much for listening. I'm looking forward to being in your ears again, hopefully tomorrow.